Welcome everyone uh, to the Premed Lifeboat Podcast. Uh, today in our midst, we are very fortunate to have Dr. Susanna Ritter Morales uh, here with us to talk with us uh, and also about her uh, experience so far in primary care um, and being, you know, a trained uh, internal medicine physician. Uh, now, quick intro of uh, Dr. Morales is that she was born and raised here in New York. Um, she attended public schools and then attended, uh, you know, Harvard University, where she received her AB degree in biology. Um, she also obtained her medical degree from the Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons, and did her residency uh, training, uh, as I said before, in internal medicine at uh, Presbyterian Hospital of the City of New York. Uh, you know, she then joined the faculty of the Division of uh, General Medicine uh, at uh, Columbia Presbyterian in 1989. Uh, yeah, I wasn't even born yet, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> and served as an assistant division uh, director for education and training. Uh, she also coordinated uh, primary care educational efforts and co-directed a student course uh, focused on psychological, I mean, psychosocial um, issues in medicine. Uh, and so today we're gonna, you know, dig into stuff like that today. Uh, but also to talk about her honors, she is a recipient of numerous honors, including the J. James Smith Memorial Award, uh, presented annually by uh, Wokono uh, staff, um, uh, to a member of the attending staff who exemplifies the uh, qualities of teacher, scholar, and physician and of the National Medical Fellowships Community Service Award, which uh, presented for extraordinary uh, commitment in the area of public health. Uh, welcome today, Dr. Morales. We are, I mean, very fortunate to have you with us. Uh, I, I know for sure how busy <laughs> you are, and so thank you for making time to talk with us. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm honored. I'm a Bronx girl originally, and hey. so I'm um, happy to be doing something with Lehman. Thank and you. with you. Thank you. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. Um, and so, uh, I mean, we're just going to dig right into it. Um, I, okay, so first question for you, Dr. Morales, how did you get into medicine? How did it all start? Did you always want to become a doctor um, growing up? Just just how, how did you gain interest in medicine in particular? Yeah, so I think everyone has a different path. Um, but I, you know, I for me, at least, a lot goes back to my parents, as for so many of us, uh, their influence. My mother um, is a retired nurse. She be, actually became one of the first nurse practitioners oh, wow. um, in the 70s nice. um, and her first nurse practitioner job was at the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Health Center in the South Bronx um, and she was involved in community health you know for most all of her career she was I was probably the first Latina at her nursing school, although I don't know for sure, but certainly one of the few. Um, and my dad um, was a community organizer and then became a health administrator and spent his career also in the community health movement and in um, uh, 
safety net hospitals and public hospitals uh, through his career. So I grew up listening to them talk about community health issues around the kitchen table. And um, right. when later on I became interested in science, I, but I was also interested in social issues, I realized that as a doctor, right. I could be involved in both. Right. Um, and so I, uh, I think that you know, I was lucky to have wonderful science teachers, and I don't think that we, um, you know, I hope for any any future teachers that may be also listening. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, there's no question that um, that our teachers affect us for life, and I had I, the one that I want to give the shout out to so. um, from way back when is a, a biology teacher I had, Mr. Reynolds, who um, was very inspiring and sparked a lot of that fascination with with biology right 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 that's pretty cool to hear uh mr renners or wherever you are uh shout out to you <laughs> um that's pretty cool that's pretty cool so uh so pretty much you growing up um you kind of had these kind of influences uh was there any moment where like it kind of hit you where you were like yes okay this this is the moment this is the reason why like very uh, or, or this is the moment where I feel like this this is my call and pretty much um uh was it like a specific class like you talked about maybe biology or like a specific experience that you know you experienced for yourself I think in high school I um you know did very well in in science and enjoyed it um and so I think that whole that whole science curricular exposure was very helpful um so I did enter college as a pre-med talking, I mean, not everybody realizes it then, but for me, that's how it worked. Um, and actually, I talked about my family influences um, right. and about my love of science and so forth, um, I think, in my college application. But the the challenge then became college. And mm. so, because um, I think it's good to talk about the... Um, the, the the up notes yeah. but I think one of the challenges for many of us is then you hit the college uh, level courses and that was especially when I first started out in college was challenging and so one of the messages I want to send to your listeners and to you you know other college students and pre-meds out there right. is to not be discouraged or don't get knocked down because I think that what you see sometimes happening is you go from high school to college where you have all these other pre-meds taking these courses with you right. and uh, sometimes elbowing, elbowing you out of the way a little bit and people get discouraged and drop out. Now, not maybe not everybody should be a doctor and there's so many different ways to serve humanity and to, um, right. to you know, have a great career and a great life, right. but, um, right. but it shouldn't be because your intro level science courses end up you know being you know bugging you so I would say just hang in there and persevere um, one of the thing one of the mistakes I think that um, some students make also is um, you know taking five million you know intense science courses in their first year which is not a good idea and I would say that that freshman year you really kind of want to get into the swing of of studying for college classes, which is totally different from high school, and totally also, in, <laughs> yeah, and also to getting your your buddies together, your group, 
um, right. so that you have, you know, study group, study partners, you know, fellow travelers in this crazy life of pre-med um, so that you are, you have a, that, that, that was really important for me is having other, you know, developing my, my friend group that was also going to kind of go on this journey with me. Right. Um, and so, you know, so that, so I think especially young people have had an especially challenging time now with the pandemic. Um, many people have been sick or lost family members or, you know, and are stalwartly proceeding in their studies. But, um, you know, just to take a, a breath and realize that you guys have been living through an extraordinarily awful time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. All right. That is great to hear because I was just going to transition uh, to ask you about uh, Harvard University uh, and also transitioning from that to Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. Just how that transition was like um, comparatively, uh, comparatively um, and also how how did you <laughs> how did you um, kind of navigate your way through uh, I guess the rigor of, of courses and just like of of of, of things in general uh, with your time yeah. Uh, yeah yeah I think no matter where you go to college it's a big transition. Um, but definitely for me, it was a big transition. And um, uh, I, you know, in retrospect, I had a, f a couple of issues. A, for me, at least, I, you know, I was living in college. So if, um, there's pros and cons of commuting versus living in the school. But first time you ever lived on your own and that you're completely free and all that stuff, it's, it's uh, a lot. Um, I, um, you know, that you have to control your own time, that you have to, you know, self-discipline. Nobody's telling you to do your homework. You know, it's like you have to do your homework, all that stuff. So, um, so that was, that was a transition, I think. Um, but I think I also had a lot of fun and that was good. Um, but I also got very involved in campus politics and, um, and that was interesting as well because, um, uh, you know, we had a Latino organization, we had um, a kind of pan-minority student organization uh, called the Third World Center. One of the big struggles at that time in our school was um, about divestiture from South Africa, because that was still under apartheid. Mm. And, um, wow. you know, many, many colleges had money invested in companies that did business in South Africa. And one of the one of the movements internationally was uh, pushing uh, organizations, institutions to dive, to not invest in, con you know, as, as a sanctions, it's called sanctions, um, to disinvest from companies doing business in South Africa to influence the end of the apartheid regime. And so right. that was a very big um, uh, movement in our campus and in a lot of college campuses to right. try to to push big institutional, um, you know, funds to disinvest. Um, so that I got very involved in that also. Um, and so, you know, that's always, I, I think that every, every era has its, has its movement, True. um, that ebbs and flows. And right now there is, you know, the black lives matter movement. There is, um, 
Um, there are other racial justice and social justice movements that are happening. And I think one of the challenges for those of us that are interested in lots of things, including pre-med, is how do you balance, uh, you know, you have to like take care of business academically, but you also are still a human being in the world and you want to, um, you know, have your voice heard. And so in the end, it was a challenging balancing act, but I think that, um, what you learn from being involved in organizations as an undergraduate student, whatever organization it is that you, and whatever activity is that you want to focus on, right. are lessons that you're going to have later. And so I think that um, in terms of how do you work together to build consensus, how do you work together to express your values and so forth. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things for me as a doctor, and I think for many of us as, as doctors or future doctors is that um, medicine, you know, is um, one of the one of the tools to 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 go for justice. And so um, okay. I, uh, I'm very glad that I was deeply involved in that. So, it, you know, I think some there's a temptation to just like shut yourself up in your little bubble and just do your pre med courses. But in the end, there's a payoff if you also look more broadly around you, and mm -hmm. and um, and it's not either or; it's both and. Right, right, right. And so, and so, I guess that that leads into my uh, next question: How do you um, uh, talking about balancing? Uh, you know, these social various types of social issues, you know, happening around us uh, each and every day. How do we balance that? Uh, you know, as premeds. Uh, you know, and and, and or, or I guess how do we get more involved uh, in in these kinds of social issues while also um, balancing that with um, our studies, or even how do we get more involved in that? Uh, on a second note, uh, in medicine, uh, particularly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, in the end, you have to get your studies done. So, and it's not um, right. that you that you throw everything over just you know, and only focus on um, on the other stuff, but, but it's, right. you know, I think that there's a lot of pressure. I mean, everybody has to individually prioritize what they need to do at that time. Absolutely. So one of the challenges, for example, is um, there's a sense of intense urgency around some of these issues, around all these issues appropriately, but this is uh, a marathon, not a sprint. And mm. so there may be times where people have to Part of the balance is knowing when to temporarily withdraw from stuff and just like buckle down and do the work, the right. schoolwork, right. and then when you can reemerge. And so it feels uncomfortable to have to do that, but sometimes you just have to do it. Right. Um, you know, unfortunately, these struggles have have been around for many, many centuries actually, and will continue. It's not an overnight thing, and and I think that. Um, one of the most revolutionary things one can do is to get a college education and a medical degree. So that is worthy in and of itself. But I do feel, I guess, I do feel that um, it can be nourishing to be involved in other stuff. And what that other stuff is, is going to vary by um, the individual, whether it's just, you know, whether it's tutoring, right. whether it's leading a group like you're one of the leaders of your group, um, whether it's, um, you know, or whether it's doing something broader in the school or external to the school. I mean, I think there's so many different ways to make a difference. Right. Um, so there's not one formula. 
you have to think about what it is that's most, um, you know, nourishing and compelling to you at that moment. Um, and then, uh, you know, realize that there may be, you know, different phases and different things that you do over time. As a, co as a medical student, we had a black and Latin student organization, uh, Bolso, which is still at Columbia, um, which, um, which I um, was also very deeply involved in and which was also very um, important in my um, emotional support for the rigors of medical school. Right. And, um, and later in medical school, I also got involved in, um, in a community organization called the Washington Heights Health Action Group because that was trying to expand, help to expand community health centers in Washington Heights in Northern Manhattan, um, where the school is. So, um, you know, so I think those those activities were were really important. And I also got involved. There was a young adults clinic um, where medical students were trained to be um, uh, contraception counselors and talk about you know sexual health and contraception and stuff like that with um, with young people. So that was also very helpful because it, you know, the way that our medical school was structured in those days, there was very little clinical contact in the first two years. You, you know, you, you, it was very like basic science in the beginning and then, and then, uh, then finally you got onto the wards in third year and you hardly ever saw a patient, but the young adults clinic allowed us to, to actually have our first um, introduction to patient care and as an undergraduate also I worked in a community health center right. um, and I was trained to be a community health worker and that was also very cool right. and um, and you know another way to you know that I got exposure to the medical setting so um, you know so there are different things there are many there's so many different things that one can do I know that one of the challenges right now for pre-meds is just the clinical shadowing opportunities have dried up because of the pandemic but I think there are other ways to demonstrate your um, commitment to community and to humans absolutely um, without only shadowing yeah. but um, but there you know there were also times in terms of just the the rigors of the of the curricula that I had tutors you know that there were some courses that really I struggled with and I think one of the other um, pearls that I want to transmit to the students is that there's no shame in getting uh, additional tutoring or additional academic help. And I think that one of the mistakes that people make is waiting to the last second, like right before the final, and then they're yes. panicking <laughs> rather than, yes. um, you know, seeking assistance early because just everybody learns in a different way. And one of the challenges Very with true. college is a lot of times there are these big survey courses where it's a big lecture hall you know that was how like my bio class had like a couple of hundred students it was very impersonal so you go from high school where maybe there's like 20 30 kids to 200 300 kids in a lecture hall it you know it was really foreign to me and um so i really struggled with that and so i got tutoring at multiple steps along the the continuum um so and there's you know as and now as faculty member you know, I've gotten very interested in this whole notion that people call either intrusive, kind of a negative term, intrusive academic support, or I called it proactive academic support, that oh. really, why not ha provide um, study skills, training, and other stuff to, to students early in the 
courses just to get them started so that you're not intervening when they're in trouble, but you're pre doing preventive, a preventive intervention. Right. So that's something that I'm very interested in, in terms of, um, uh, you know, educational, educational support. I think that that's really key. And, you know, wow. Some of these struggles can happen as an undergrad, it can happen as a medical student, it can even happen as a resident, because residency is like a whole other kettle of fish. Um, and at each moment, really smart people may need some guidance and some support. That is very true. Uh, we, we all need help along the way. Yeah. So never feel like not asking for help. Always ask for help. We all need it. Definitely. But it's um, an issue because I think people yeah. sometimes feel like it's um, humiliating or um, an admission of, you know, inferiority or whatever. No, I think that it's actually, um, you know, acknowledging that every brain works differently mm -hmm. and it's really a systemic issue that the, our educational system yeah. is frequently not student-centered and is not, does not always adhere to principles of um, adult learning. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of times students will like beat themselves up, but, you know, really, you know, maybe you don't have a very talented instructor. I mean, there's so many, and then sometimes the content is just very ornate and arcane and complex. And, um, and the methodology that we use for instruction doesn't always, um, appropriately reflect that so yeah, sure. instead of students beating themselves up they need to think about the systemic issues right. whether it's the content the structure the instructor you know there are many other factors don't assume that there's something wrong with you right right Probably I used to I used to have that same rest. problem right uh, mm -hmm. whereby uh, especially like early on in my college career uh, not asking for help not 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 going for tuning sessions, you know, like thinking that hey, you know, maybe like all that stigma that comes with it, or like hey, I'm fine, or that uh, such a thing, um, as that. But uh, yeah, I have grown to know that it is quite essential um, to ask for help, and that is why they are there, like to help you. Um, Good. You know? And so and so, yeah, guys, don't don't be afraid to ask for help. Okay, uh, we all need it for sure. Um, so, Doctor Morales, you talked about. Um, you know, ways of getting involved uh, during the pandemic. Uh, it hasn't been easy in terms of like shadowing experiences, all that has been cut out. Um, obviously now with the mass vaccina I mean, vaccination going on, um, I mean, especially here in the United States, we still have a lot of work to do in terms of like worldwide um, vaccination. Um, but in terms of the United States and even here in New York now, um, cases of, uh, you know, of COVID-19, um, are compar uh, comparatively uh, to last year um, lower um, and very low, and so and so now you know these kind of opportunities are getting you know like shadowing and stuff are kind of coming back uh, slowly. Um, but in your recommendation, what are some ways that uh, pre meds out there can you know get more involved uh, in the medical field and kind of get more experience? Just yeah, I think there's way more um, interest than there are is capacity mm -hmm. for shadowing right. unfortunately um you know as you know there are lots of different organizations um i think that every institution is opening up at a different rate um so i would say that um volunteering in a healthcare institution if that's available to you is one way just to get a little foot in the door and a glimpse of what's really going on right. 
um, the uh, but you mentioned the vaccination issues and um, you know this is an obsession of mine COVID vaccination um, I've been you know what I realized um, last December when the vaccines came out was um, that there was you know that's when I I don't know why I I think it was kind of naive of that I was surprised but I was surprised by how many colleagues you know workers in the hospital were hesitant um, let alone my patients um, and especially because my you know the my fellow staff um, especially the non-physician staff um, were very um, concerned and worried about about the vaccines and then I realized that this was a universal problem um, you know but the reason I was I guess I was surprised naively about the healthcare workers is just because we had seen so much devastation um, and so many healthcare workers got, had gotten sick so I was just taken aback yeah. um, but I you know started to talk and interact with healthcare workers at New York Presbyterian where I work yeah. um, and then realized that the, the, the need and the desire for information was huge and that there was a lot also a lot of misinformation and disinformation happening right. out there right. so um, uh, what I've gotten very deeply involved in is many many efforts around vaccine uh, education and empowerment mm. uh, including um, our, our course, which I think you're familiar with, but maybe you're not, are you? Can, can you mention uh, the, the name? The COVID-19 uh, STEM Education and Empowerment Internship? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. so that's just one example, you know, mm -hmm. many, there's a group of us at New York Presbyterian and um, citywide that have been very deeply involved in doing lots of community education and outreach. Absolutely. And um, just, just our New York Presbyterian Cornell, we've reached, you know, we've t spoken to dozens and dozens and dozens of community organizations, gone on the radio, gone on TV, gone on, you know, trying to uh, reach out to the community. Yeah. Um, I believe there is another one called uh, New York State uh, Public Health Leader Training Program, uh, which also right, works with that. Right, and that's something else that, that we were involved in. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the state is sponsoring a COVID uh, education program. The federal government right. has sponsored one as well. But our internship was um, for, you know, six of the New York, the six New York City medical schools. A group of us that do diversity work and and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Dr. Lynn Holden, who runs mentoring in medicine and is at Montefiore Einstein. Yes. Uh, Dr. Butts at Mount Sinai. Dr. Hutcherson at Columbia. Uh, Dr. Ravenel at NYU and Dr. Um, Booten Foster at at Downstate, um, and then um, Joe Osborne and I from Cornell. The group of us decided to um, to you know stand up a summer inter a virtual internship, um, and we're actually going to have another run through this summer. So keep your ears and eyes for uh, when we invite people for we sure, decided to sure. to to mount a zoom internship over four Saturdays um, five hours a day which is quite a big time commitment 
and we got 800 applicants from around the country actually and even around the world Absolutely. and we decided to accept everyone and um, uh, so we did two cohorts and we talked about virology and pandemics and public health and um, uh, how does the immune system work how do vaccines work right. about the COVID vaccines about how to talk about vaccines in every uh, we asked each student to um, do a uh, social media product, a TikTok, an infographic, a video yes. about COVID or about COVID vaccination, and they, that they should each commit to talk to 10 people about COVID vaccines. Right. And so, um, so we just finished our second cohort, and it was really inspirational. Uh, I think in both directions, the students loved, you know, we brought some amazing speakers um, and uh, and we really tried to provide a lot of information, but in return, the students I don't I think underestimate how much they inspired us right. um, as their teachers and facilitators, and so it was really cool. Yeah, um, I saw I saw I saw a lot of the uh, the TikTok videos from some of. Oh, you students. did? Yeah. Good, good, <laughs> yeah, excellent. Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind yeah, of the idea good. is that you know a lot of. Young there's so much myth. There's so much mythology out there, and so one of the big challenges I think is um, right now is that the younger generation is very reluctant to get vaccinated. Right. But it's not just young people; it's across the board. Yeah. When you look in New York City, um, you know, especially for people of color, there's a minority of eligible adults that and 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 children because now kids are eligible twelve and up. Um, that have been vaccinated. There's a lot of hesitancy. And so, you know, I think that, um, I think the key thing and the reason we named it Community Education and Empowerment was that it's not about um, twisting people's arms. It's about providing information and meeting people where they are, but also about fighting the disinformation because that's the one of the biggest issues is, is uh, people, um, people, especially with social media so much negative information that's wrong and is scientifically inaccurate going out there so people don't know who to trust so that's why we really wanted to to kind of equip young people who are interested in science to um to in turn go out there and um you know kind of be ambassadors of factual information to their communities and so i think that if there's one thing i can say for young people in your city that like including your your Lehman comrades it's yes. getting the word out getting informed yourselves and getting the word out um, everybody that you encounter you know talking to them I mean I you know the guy in the in the grocery store down from the hospital yes. is having trouble getting his vaccine I have helped hook him up I mean at this point it's not it's no longer accessibility it's it's really about um, you know still that people are reluctant and sometimes that there are logistical issues just because people work um, but a lot of it is about people's um, I think two things number one people's fears that are mm -hmm. still out there based a lot of times on misinformation right. and um, and uh, some anxieties around immigration costs whatever the reality of course that Yes. anyone can get vaccinated and that it's free right um, so there are some really useful um, 
resources for information out there that I just want to um, direct people to. Absolutely. One of them I was involved in is called um, The Conversation, La Conversacion, mm. which is um, sponsored by an organization called Greater Than COVID. And that uh, brings together uh, African-American and Latino doctors, nurses, and community health workers. And it has like dozens and dozens and dozens of videos in English and in Spanish. Um, that uh, address a lot of the common concerns that people have about the vaccines. Right. But the other thing is that if, if anybody that you work with at your school yes. um, has a community organization, a church or mosque or synagogue group, that temple group that, um, right. that would like information from physicians, mm -hmm. we have doctors that speak many languages, you know, we have Arabic-speaking doctors, Hindi-speaking doctors, French, Creole, you know, many, many languages, um, and as well as English and Spanish, and happy to to uh, reach out to any of the groups that you're working with, because sometimes students may be interested but may not feel equipped to answer the questions, but we can do it with you. So I wanted to just put that word out there. I would say if there's anything that is vital right now yes. is talking it up, and getting the word out and um, if there's any way that we can help your you guys to then reach out to your fellow students and to your community whatever organizations or people in your community even if it's I mean I've told people you're you know there's people in your family that, that are reluctant let's have a zoom with your family <laughs> yeah I don't care how big or small the group is I really <laughs> at this point it's one by one right and um right. And you just want to empower people so that they can make the best decisions for themselves. Absolutely. And you have to respect why people are worried. A lot of it is disinformation. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is around distrust of the medical care system. And the reality is that yes. the American healthcare system has not always done the right thing where it's uh, where people of color are concerned. And so people aren't crazy or paranoid for, for being worried. People are, are survivors. Yeah and are being realistic and intelligent. Right. So you have to respect those uh, those realities, Absolutely. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so guys, don't worry. Uh, I will link uh, the website uh, to uh, the conversation. It's actually theconversation.com, but we will yeah. link it in the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Morales, for uh, sharing uh, your insight with us um, and all these other opportunities. Uh, I guess my next question will be about uh, other challenges that you see so far in your experience uh, as a family care physician, um, and, you know, in the field in general, and also like what changes do you think uh, will be appropriate uh, in terms of the current medical system that we have? Um. I believe that we need universal health care in America. Um, I believe that we need, ideally, a single-payer health care system, um, which what that means is that there aren't, you know, dozens and dozens of different insurance programs 
but that everybody has the same insurance, the same access, um, and the same quality, hopefully. And so one of the things that I think is shocking uh, to many people is when they realize the incredible disparity of access by income, region, because rural health is a, you know, whether it's rural health or urban health, there are these these problems with access to care, um, really widely variable quality of care, um, especially for, um, well, for everything, really. It's not only for high-tech um, severe illness. It even can be something as simple as uh, access to um, childhood immunizations. It's really a, a very broad issue. Right. We have a, we spend a ton of our gross national product, um, which is the, you know, the economy of the United States on healthcare for um, a very poor um, outcome. And, and a lot of that is fueled by, by the disparate um the disparities in the way that poor people, um, inner city and rural people and minority people get their health care and, and the, the quality of that care. So one thing that needs to happen is 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 universalizing it. What's happening right now is that there you know, what happened as part of the Affordable Care Act, also called Obamacare, um, there was a broadening of access to um, health insurance, which was great. Um, and part of the most recent uh, federal legislation under President Biden is that the the uh, there were increased subsidies of those um, of those health insurances so that the premiums were lower, and then um, they broadened the um, application period of time so that, for example, right now if you're uninsured and maybe uh, you know that you may be able to still apply to get low-cost health insurance in New York State, for example, um, and around the country. Um, but that, that's, you know, there's still millions of people that don't have any health insurance in America. And that, you know, and what part of what happened with the ACA is that states could opt in or opt out to something called the Medicaid expansion. So mm -hmm. for the very poorest uh, Americans, lowest-income Americans, Medicaid is a huge part of the safety net and covers a huge number of children. Nice. Um, for example, is a major insurer of pregnant pregnancy and pregnant women. Um, and so it's a really vital uh, health insurance, part of the health insurance system. And um, many of the, the former Confederate states are the states that didn't fund the Medicaid expansion, mainly for political reasons, because it basically actually um, was free money. They, there was no state component of from the state budget. Mm. Um, and in fact, internally, many of those states, healthcare institutions lobbied to get to, for them to do the Medicaid expansion, but right. it's really ended up being a very partisan issue. I think it's really unfortunate that health and public health is so politicized. Um, right. I think it's a human right that everyone should have. Um, but there's all, you know, unfortunately, all this stuff ends up being like super politicized and partisan, unfortunately. Um, so I think that's the number one most important uh, goal is universal health care. But even when you have universal health care insurance, um, 
like in the UK, where they have a universal health plan, that doesn't mean that health care is necessarily perfect. And so right. there are lots of other issues around how, how the health care system is structured. One of the most important is that um, a health care system that has a primary care emphasis and that adequately funds and staffs its primary care infrastructure ends up leading to a healthier population as a whole. And that's yeah. kind of the opposite of how the American healthcare system works, right. where primary care is starved and high tech, really end of life care is what is most uh, funded. So that's a mistake in um, set of priorities. And then you need to actually think about uh, vulnerable populations because of poverty, because, you know, because of, um, you know, racism and discrimination um, and all the isms, homophobia and ageism and disabledism. You know, the, the reality is that all of that stuff translates into um, poor healthcare quality and access for a lot of the population. And so that you need that what you end up seeing now, for example, for the care of the poor is that uh, um, there's less spent on people that have the most need. Right. And so then there are bad outcomes and then everybody's surprised. Right. Whereas people that have the most need and have may have the most chronic illness and the most um, challenges, there should be greater investment in in supporting those populations, right. but it's kind of the opposite. Of course, you know, the reality is that um, we're also at a time of intense economic inequality, the most profound economic inequality in a century. Um, and um, this degree of economic inequality is part of what fuels a lot of the um, the unrest and division in the country. It's not a surprise. Um, and um, the uh, the importance of, it, it speaks to the fact that we, there are all these reforms that we need to do in terms of healthcare financing and the healthcare system, but that we also need to look more broadly that health is not just healthcare. Health is related to the social determinants of health. And those include addressing income inequality, um, occupational safety, quality education, right. housing, all of the other things that affect the health of a population. Um, and that really we as healthcare providers or people that are interested in health and public health need to think really broadly about all of those issues too. And so that's why at the start of our time together, I mentioned, you know, whatever you go, there are many ways to serve humanity. And, right. Um, right. you know, be, you don't have to be a doctor to do it, even though we want more doctors, uh, good doctors out there. There's still, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of other things that we can do to also improve the health of our communities, even outside of healthcare delivery. Right, right, right. And so, and so our last question for today uh, will be, what what will be your general advice uh, for for premeds listening to us, uh, you know who who are vying to like go into healthcare? Uh, what what will be your your general advice to them? I would say um, number one, um, be focused and as I mentioned earlier, get help early before you need it to try to 
make yourself as competitive an applicant as possible. Um, there are major structural problems with the medical school application process, unfortunately, as well, including high stakes exams like the MCATs, which disproportionately disadvantage low income people, minority people, et cetera, because it's a biased exam, in my opinion. So there are all these hurdles that we have to jump over to get a medical education, which I find uh, pretty enraging. And the fact that we actually have made so little progress in improving the numbers of um, people of color in medicine is um, pretty disgusting. Um, but that said, part of it is also just like hanging in there. So finding ways to nourish yourself, to um, to nurture your, your calling, to not give up when people try to discourage you, because there will be people that will try to kick you down. Don't give um, up. I definitely had an advisor that yeah. was like, oh, you're never going to get into medical school, you know, wow. stuff like that. And so it's really, no matter where you go to school, no matter who you are, there's going to be someone that wants to kick you down. So you wow. need to just keep your eye on the prize. Um, know that our community needs you. And, um, and then, but also, you know, realize that, that, um, that there are, there are going to be different phases of your career and that there may be different paths that some of us take and that we're all going to contribute in the end. And so that, um, you know, so I think that it's a, it's a funny dichotomy. You need to kind of stay focused and stay, um, stay inspired, but also, um, not, you know, realize that there are there are so many different ways to make a contribution, and as if you end up being a physician, that also right. that that you then need to bring people up behind you, which Absolutely. is a lot of what my work is around. You know, we have a diversity center of excellence at Cornell that that has pipeline programs that focuses on um, on bringing uh, people of color and disadvantaged students into the medical fold, um, and so. Um, you know, providing people with with exposure and opportunities for mentoring, so that um, so find you know digging out all those possible um, sources of inspiration and support are also really important. Um, but yeah, keep your eye on the prize and um, and keep your chin up and don't let anyone discourage you. That's my most important uh, advice because a lot of it is the psychology of of pre med. It's just mm. it's can be can be daunting and it feels endless but in the end it's worth it in the end it's worth it in the end it's worth it uh thank you dr morales uh, everyone join us and say uh, to say a big thank you to dr morales just for her time uh she's a very busy person but just making time to talk with us is a big thank you very grateful for it, dr morales oh dr morales can you share with us uh, your social media platform so that our students can follow you Absolutely. Um, please follow me uh, at Susanna Morales, S-U-S-A-N-A-M-O-R-A-L-E-S-M-8 uh, on Twitter. And our, um, our diversity center's Twitter handle is at capital WCM diversity CTR. Uh, so please follow us. Um, we'll be posting information for pre-meds and, and other stuff on there. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh man thank you dr morales and so everyone uh, until next time is bye for now see you all in the next episode